Today I'm going to cover the second argument for God's existence, the argument from the impossibility of nothingness. I'm Jason Dooley, and you're listening to the Thinking to Believe podcast. Welcome back, friends, to the podcast. You may have noticed that the sound of the audio is a little bit different lately, and that is because for the last three episodes, and four including this one, I've changed my audio editing so that it doesn't have as much bass, so my voice doesn't sound as deep, but I think it's a little more realistic to my true voice, and I think it sounds a little better, especially if you have earphones in. Um, So I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on the change in the audio. Do you prefer the new sound or do you prefer the old sound? Interested to hear your thoughts on that. I also wanted to mention that I have published on thinkingtobelieve.com the article that corresponds to the episode on reason and belief in God as well as the article that corresponds to the first argument I gave for God's existence on personal experience. So you can go to thinkingtobelieve.com, and you can access both of those articles that correspond to the audio podcast. And with that, let's jump right into this episode. There are good arguments that you can make for the existence of God based on the existence of the universe. And any argument that's based on the existence of the universe and concludes that God exists is what we call a cosmological argument, coming from the word cosmos. Now, there are two particular observations about our universe that fuel the cosmological arguments. One is that the universe didn't have to exist. And number two is that it has not always existed. So some arguments will bank on the fact that the universe did not have to exist and it didn't have to exist the way that it does. Other arguments will bank on the fact that the universe is temporally finite, that it had a beginning. Three of the arguments that I am going to present in this series are cosmological arguments. So the first one is the one I'm going to present today, and that is the argument from the impossibility of nothingness. The second will be the Kalam cosmological argument, and the third will be the contingency argument. All of these are forms of the cosmological argument, and all three of them argue that God is the best explanation for the existence of our universe. So what is the argument from the impossibility of nothingness? Let me first explain what the objective of the argument is. The objective is to prove that there exists an eternal, personal being that caused the universe to come into being. I'll examine the argument in detail shortly, but let me first begin by stating the argument briefly. Here's the argument. If you start with absolutely nothing, you'll always end up with nothing. So if literally nothing existed before the universe came into being, then the universe could have never come into being, since you can't get something from nothing. Something can only come from something else. So what is the something that the universe came from? Well, it can't be physical, 
because physical reality came into being with the universe. So it has to be something non-physical like God that has always existed that brought the universe into being. So there has to be something eternal, but it can't be physical. It has to be something non-physical. Now, the key to this argument is for the individual to accept the notion that you can't get something from nothing, that something only comes from something else. Existence only comes from existence. You can't start with nothing and then get something. And I think most people have an intuition that this is true, so it shouldn't be hard to convince somebody of that. This is a basic metaphysical truth that virtually all people understand and accept. Now, there are some concepts that you need to understand in order to appreciate and understand the power of this argument. The first concept to understand is nothingness. What do we mean by nothing? Well, nothing is a term of universal negation. It literally means not anything, or think of it as the absence of all things. It's the absence of being. So when I talk about nothingness, I'm talking about the absence of being. There is literally no thing or not anything. This word is similar to no one and nowhere. Nowhere does not refer to a place, but it refers to the absence of any place. It means not anywhere. So for the word nothing, if I said I had nothing for lunch, I don't mean that I ate something called nothing, but rather that I did not eat anything. So nothingness is the absence of anything and everything. It's the absence of being. Now, we tend to think of nothingness as empty black space, but space is not nothing. Space is something. So nothingness is not even space. Nothingness has no properties. It has no characteristics. There's no size. There's no color to nothingness, no shape. There's no feel. Nothing. (laughs) It's literally nothing. So when we say that you can't get something from nothing, what we mean is that you can't get a thing from no thing. That a thing can only come from some other thing. If you start off with no thing or no things, then you're never going to get a thing out of it. So that's the concept of nothingness. The next concept you need to understand is potentiality. And I'll couple this with actuality, potentiality and actuality. So what is potentiality? Potentiality refers to the unexpressed or unrealized possibility of something. Whereas an actuality refers to an expressed or realized possibility. So something is potentially there, but it's not actual until the potential has been expressed. So you can might distinguish these between saying that potentiality is that it could be real, whereas actuality is that it is real. And so this concept of potentiality and actuality are related to causality, because an effect is just potential that has been actualized by some outside force. We'll call it the actualizer. Let me say that again. An effect is just potential 
that has been actualized by some outside force. So for some X to cause some Y to come into existence, two things have to be true. First, X has to carry within it the potential to cause Y. And the potentiality of X to cause Y is determined by the properties of X. If X has a certain kind of property, then it has the potential to create Y. But if it doesn't have the properties that are required to bring Y into existence, then X could never cause Y to come into existence. So when we're talking about the potential that's inherent within something, we're talking about the characteristics and properties that are inherent to X that have the potential to create Y. So that's the first thing that must be true in order for X to cause Y. Second thing that has to be true is that there has to be some Q that acts on the potentiality of X in order to cause Y. Because X may always have the potential within it, but in order to realize that potential, to actualize that potential, something has to act on X and the properties, the characteristics inherent within X in order to bring out that potential and make it actual. So if the potentiality within X is actualized by some outside force Q, then Y will come into being. But if that outside force Q never acts on X, then Y will never come into being. It's just that the potential for Y will remain within X. So every effect that we see, everything that is actualized, requires both a prior potentiality and a prior actualizer. If either one of those is absent, then the effect will never come into being. So let me give you an example. Metal carries within itself the potential to become a car. Our cars are made out of metal, or increasingly plastic, but certain parts of them are made out of metals. So metal carries within it that potential to become a car. But if there's nothing outside of the metal that acts on the metal to produce the effect of the car, then the metal will just continue to have the potential, but will never be actualized into a car. So in the case of metal being made into a car, what actualizes it? Well, it's actualized by a human being. So if a human being acts on the metal to bring out its potential to make a car, then a car will come into being. But imagine if there was no metal. If there were no metal, then there would be no potential for a car to come into being. Why? Because potentiality only exists in things that exist. This is key. Potentiality only exists in things that exist. You can't have potential in something that does not exist. Why? Because if something does not exist, then it has no characteristics. It has no properties. If it has no properties, it has no potential to do or become or produce anything else. There are no physics of non-being. <laughs> That's why 
something cannot come from nothing. For example, the universe. The universe cannot come from nothing because that would be to have an effect without something prior to it that had potential to create the universe and an actualizer to act on the potential to create the universe. Since nothingness is not a thing, nothingness has no properties, then it contains no potentiality. So if in the beginning, if prior to the universe coming into being, there was literally nothing, the absence of all being, then the universe could have never come into being. The only way to get something is if you start with something else, because something can only come from something. If you start with nothing, you end up with nothing. And that's why the universe could not have popped into being from nothing. It had to come from something else. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you'll always get the latest episodes. And help me spread the word by sharing your favorite episodes on social media, as well as rating this podcast and offering a short review on iTunes or wherever you access your podcasts. So now that we understand the concept of nothingness, we understand potentiality and actuality, let me flesh out the argument for the existence of God based on the impossibility of nothingness. If there was ever a time when there was literally nothing, the absence of all being, then there would still be nothing. Because nothingness lacks any and all properties. And because it has no properties, it has no potential to ever become something. And so if it lacks potential, then there can never be any actuality. There can never be any effect. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So if there was ever a time when nothing existed, there would still be nothing. And yet, it's not true that there's nothing. Something exists. So that tells us that there has never been a time when literally nothing existed. Something has always existed. Something has to be eternal. You could not have a state of affairs where there was nothing and then the universe pops into being. There had to be something prior to the universe that existed in order for the universe to come into being. Because if you start with nothing, you end up with nothing. But we haven't ended up with nothing. We've ended up with something. Therefore, that means that there had to be something prior to the universe. But what is that eternal something? That's the question. Well, it can't be the universe. There are plenty of scientific and philosophical reasons to think that the universe is not eternal. So the universe cannot be the eternal something. Just as one quick example, the thermodynamic properties of the universe demonstrate that the universe had to have a beginning because the amount of the energy in the universe is limited and it's being used up over time. What we call it's increasing towards entropy. So an example of this would be like a car. A car will eventually run out of gas because it has a finite amount of gas in its tank. And over time, it will use up all of that gas. It reaches a state of entropy. Well, if your car were infinitely old, how long ago would you have run out of gas? Well, you would have run out of gas an infinite time ago. 
Well, likewise, our universe only has a finite amount of energy in it. So if the universe were infinitely old, it would have used up all of the usable energy an infinite time ago. And yet we still have usable energy. Therefore, the universe is not infinitely old. It must have begun a finite time ago. So we know that the universe is not eternal, and therefore the universe cannot be the eternal something. So if physical reality has not always existed, then that which must be eternal must be some kind of immaterial, timeless, spaceless reality. Because whatever caused the universe to come into being, which is you know matter, time, and space, cannot itself be material, spatial, and temporal. And there's only two possibilities that could explain how the universe comes into being that would fit the bill of being timeless and immaterial and spaceless. And that is abstract objects or an unembodied mind, not a brain. Your brain is not the same as your mind. Your mind uses your brain, but you are not a brain. So I'm talking about a mind, which is immaterial. Now, could it be an abstract object that is the eternal something that caused the universe to come into being? Is as an abstract object the something from which the universe, another something, comes? No, it cannot be. Because the defining property of an abstract object is that it doesn't stand in any causal relationships with anything else. It's what they call causally inert. It doesn't do anything. It can't cause anything. So you can't have an eternal abstract object causing the universe to come into being because by definition, abstract objects don't cause anything. So that leaves us then with the only other option, which is an unembodied mind. An unembodied mind is the eternal something. And this makes sense because we're intimately acquainted with the idea of minds creating things, because our minds create things all the time. And a mind also makes sense of the design and the order that we see in the universe. Now, since an eternal, non-spatial, immaterial, intelligent mind is what most mean by God, then I think it's best to conclude that God is that which has always existed, that God is a necessary being. He must exist. He cannot not exist. He is eternal, and he is the actualizer that brought the universe into being. The potential for the existence of the universe lies within God himself, and he exercises his will to bring that potential into existence. Now, we could express this argument in analytical form, in the form of premises and a conclusion. Premise one, if there was a time when nothing existed, there would still be nothing. Premise two, there is something rather than nothing. Premise three, therefore, there was never a time when nothing existed. Something must be eternal. Premise four, either God or the universe is eternal. Premise five, the universe is not eternal. Conclusion, therefore, God is eternal. Now, let me say that without the premise numbers. If there was a time when nothing existed, there would still be nothing. But there is something rather than nothing. Therefore, there was never a time when nothing existed. Something must be eternal. Either God or the universe is eternal. 
The universe is not eternal, therefore God is eternal. So that is the argument for the existence of God based on the impossibility of nothingness. And let me just briefly restate it again. If there's ever a time when nothing existed, then nothing would exist now because nothing has no potential to ever become something. And yet something exists, so we know that something must have always existed. The universe isn't that something because the universe originated at the Big Bang. So whatever the eternal something is, it has to be something that transcends the universe. It transcends physicality. That eternal something has to be immaterial, spaceless, and eternal, which is what most people mean by God. So there you have the argument. I think it's a very quick and easy argument and very persuasive. Let me share just a couple of tactical ways to convey this argument to somebody. Because you don't typically sit down with somebody and go, hey, here's an argument for God's existence, premise one, premise two. That's not the way we typically talk. So I would suggest to convey this argument to somebody, ask them this, say, if I never deposit money into a savings account, how much interest will I earn? And they'll say, well, none, zero. Right. Because you can't get something from nothing. If I don't start with some money in the account, I'm never going to get more money. And the same thing applies to the universe. And then you go into uh, a summation of the argument from the impossibility of nothingness. Saying, if I start with nothing, I'm not ever going to get something. So if the universe exists now, it's a something. Where did it come from? It had to come from something else. And it had to, you know, so what is that eternal something from which the universe came? Another way you could express this argument to somebody is say, you know, have you, have you ever heard the phrase, nothing is impossible? Well, that's true, but not in the way we normally mean it. We normally mean that everything is possible, but it's also quite literally true that nothing is impossible, by which I mean, it's impossible that there was ever a time when absolutely nothing existed. Something had to be eternal, and that something is God. And then you can get into the explanation. And they may be curious, well, why is it you think that there could ever be a time, uh, that there could never be a time when nothing existed? And then you can explain that nothing has no properties, it has no potentiality, therefore you can never get something from nothing. All right, let me end with two objections that one might raise to this argument and how you could respond. Objection number one is that given enough time, eventually something will come from nothing. Some people just think that time is the answer to everything and time is somehow magical, but it's not. (laughs) Time doesn't do anything. What this challenge fails to grasp is the meaning of nothing, and it fails to grasp the necessary requirements for an effect. It doesn't understand the idea of potentiality and an actualizer that must act on that potential in order to bring about the effect. Nothing is the absence of all existence. Existence, like E-N-T-S. Time is an existent. It's something that exists. Therefore, if there was ever truly a state of nothingness, there wouldn't even be time. 
So it doesn't make any sense to say that given enough time, eventually something comes into being from nothing, because that presumes that there is a duration in this state of nothingness. But nothingness technically isn't even a state, and there is no duration in nothingness because there is no time. So time is not going to do anything to overcome this metaphysical impossibility that you could get something from nothing. All right, second objection is you've never experienced nothing. So how can you say something can't come from nothing? Well, this may sound quite uh, introspective and informative, but this is nonsense. It's like saying you've never experienced a square circle. So how can you say that square circles don't exist? Well, I can say that they don't exist because it's a nonsensical concept. It's a contradiction. I don't have to have an experience of it in order to know that it's not possible. It's logically impossible. And in the same way, it is metaphysically impossible to get something from nothing because nothing is the absence of all things. Therefore, there is no potentiality within nothingness. And if you have no potentiality and no actualizer to change that potential into something actual, then it's impossible for there to ever be something if you start with nothing. We don't need to test this by our experience. We can test it by our reason. Well, that'll be a wrap for today. Be sure to tune in next week when I start the Kalam Cosmological Argument for God's Existence. I'm going to begin with a one-and-done episode that covers the argument in brief, and then there will be a number of episodes following that where I'll go into the argument in much more detail. Now, I do want to let you know in advance that I had recorded these episodes about a year, over a year ago. Um, I had intended for these arguments to be some of the first episodes that I published for the new podcast. And this was even prior to launching the podcast. So since the time that I've recorded these, I've switched up a little bit of how I introduce the podcast, how it starts off. Um, I'm no longer starting off with music. I start off with a brief introduction, then it's music, then I go into the podcast. So you'll notice some differences. Um, Who knows, my voice even may sound a little bit different than what you're used to. But just keep that in mind that these were recorded about a year and a half ago. Um, So that's where some of those differences are coming from. But they are some great episodes. I really enjoyed recording them because the Kalam cosmological argument in particular is my favorite argument for God's existence. So you definitely want to tune in. And because I had pre-recorded these, I am probably going to publish two of these per week because I don't have to go through the time of preparing the lessons right now and doing the recordings. All I have to do is edit. So I'll probably publish these twice a week. I'm not sure exactly which days, maybe Tuesday and Friday, uh, maybe Wednesday and Friday. I haven't yet determined what the schedule will be, but just be prepared that at least for the Kalam cosmological argument and perhaps you know the contingency argument, I may be publishing two episodes per week, and then I'll go back to my normal uh, one episode per week once I have to get back into doing some additional recording. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com. Or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe 
Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.